Welcome to the Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast, inside the business, buzz, and brilliance of Black entrepreneurs. Here is your host, Dr. Francis Richards. What happens in Vegas goes all over the world on Black Entrepreneur Experience, episode number 385. Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black Entrepreneur Experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Francis Richards. Our next guest serves the community through financial education and leadership, known as the Real Money Coach, certified financial education instructor, ordained minister, father, husband, and grandfather. Welcome, Tony R. Jackson. Thank you for having me, Dr. Richards. It's a pleasure being here. Much respect for what you're doing. You're doing an awesome work in the community, so I'm just honored to be with you. You know, I've given our audience such a brief bio. Why don't you fill in the gaps and share with our audience what you'd like them to know about you and Tony R. Jackson? Well, I, I think you hit the important stuff. You know, to me, my my role as, as a husband, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. We have four children, four grandchildren. That's, that's awfully important. And as you mentioned, uh, I'm an ordained minister. I've been ordained and licensed to minister for over 20 years. Career-wise, uh, I started my career in the insurance and financial services industry. I've been doing that for over 25 years, and I really enjoy helping helping people with their finances and getting to a place of financial wellness so they can really experience and retirement, you know, the way they desire to do it. And then the other thing that I think is is awfully important is where my ministry and my work come together is under the Real Money Coach, where we teacher and advocates for financial literacy. We've done that mostly pre, especially pre-pandemic through the church, through hosting classes and, and those type of things. I'm very connected with Dr. George Frazier and some of his financial literacy initiatives as well. And so I, I guess mainly I'm just kind of a servant and I like to help and serve people and, and help our people advance their financial IQ because we know that, you know, 78% of people are living from paycheck to paycheck, regardless of income, at least according to the Wall Street Journal. So if we can, if we can turn that and kind of start to do our part in terms of educating to close the, the wealth gap that seems to be widening, that's my mission. That's, that's what I love to do. I love my family. And so I'm just kind of a, a simple guy, financial educator. Fill in the blank. Thank you, Pandemic Because. Thank you, pandemic, because it made us more innovative. And so what we were doing, where I could be in five or six different churches, you know, maybe in a week or a month uh, with the pandemic now, our audience has broadened. So that's really where I birthed the brand, The Real Money Coach, as a response to, to really COVID, because I had clients that were calling and... I wanted to know what was happening with their money because they're seeing the stock market fall and seeing those type of things. And, and the, the products that we deal with, you don't lo- suffer those losses on the market. And so initially what happened, Dr. Francis, is I said, well, let's have a town hall meeting. It was election year. There are town halls all over the country. So let's have a town hall meeting. We'll do it live just to, and invite all our customers to be a part of that. That was April 2nd of 2020. And it went so well, that first one was so well, let's come back again next week, give more information in the next week. And so I've been doing that uh, weekly broadcast ever since. 
And so I'm very thankful to the pandemic because had it not happened, I probably wouldn't have done that. Probably would have been kind of doing the business the old way that we were used to. And then, then that led to a radio show, which now is leading to, you know, podcasting. And so the pandemic, as rough as it has been for many people from a business standpoint, and also during a pandemic, I released my book. And so a lot of those things, I think, may not have occurred if we didn't have to make a paradigm shift due to the pandemic. And tell us about your book. So my book is... The title of it is Increase, Protect, and Dominate Your Money. And actually, the, the book kind of came from a presentation. I, the Power Networking Conference is uh, George Frazier's conference. I was presenting at the conference. So I made this presentation called iPad Your Money, Increase, Protect, and Dominate Your Money. It went very well. So we continue to develop that presentation into what is kind of the signature presentation that I use for my business. And then I had always had this, this idea. I wanted to write a book. I had these notes all over different ideas for a book. And it's just Donna is like, this is the one. iPad, your money, increase, protect, and dominate your money. My wife was listening to the radio and listening to Willie Moore Jr. show. And there's a gentleman on there, AJ Joyner, that came on and he helped people write and publish their book. And so I contacted him and he says, you're my last one. I think he did one more after that, but he said, I'm, I'm the last one. And we went through that process. And just to get out all the stories that I have from clients and just making it very relatable. And that's one of the things that people say, I have a, a, a gift for making very complex financial matters and breaking them down into to simple, palatable, bite-sized pieces of information. The book itself is seven chapters and it's a bonus chapter. But each one of those chapters starts off with a story of a real client, names, places, and all those things have been changed, releases. So you don't know exactly who it is, but it starts with a story that really kind of emphasizes what the material in that chapter will be all about. Almost a parable, right? So it gives the story and then I go into the details of how that all works. So I'm very proud of the work. It was years in the making. You know, it took a year to write, but it was years in the making because of of the experiences I've had in the industry. And how can they purchase the book? Well, can I offer your listeners a discount on the book? It, it is available on Amazon. Amazon price is $24.95. I do offer it on my website for $19.95. And that website is ipadyourmoney.com ipatyourmoney.com. And you can see there where you, there's also a recap of my book launch. Had great people involved in the book launch. Dr. Frazier, Dr. Dennis Kimbrell, who wrote Think and Go Rick and Black Choice, Boyce Watkins, just wonderful folks that kind of poured into me. But if you go there, you can order the book. And then if your listeners use a discount code IPAD50, that's IPAD, all caps, and 50, they'll actually get 50% off of the price that I have on my website. So to make it about $10, that will include your shipping and handling everything. Thank you for that. We appreciate that. Absolutely. Let's talk about legacy. Yes. When it's all said and done, how do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered really as someone who, who made a difference. It made a difference in our community, made a difference in certainly my family. You know, one of the things 
as you say that, that I think about in terms of legacy is, you know, both of my parents have transitioned and it was really kind of, my mom passed when I was 27, my dad passed 16 years later. And it was like, when that second parent has passed, it's like, okay, who's going to be the patriarch? And even though I'm not the oldest of the family, kind of fell on, on me. And I was like, am I really ready for that? Am I really ready to carry that torch of my dad, who was so respected by everyone in our family? Everybody loved granddaddy, right? And and even when I had for my first grandchild, it's like, I, I can't be granddaddy. I can't fill those shoes of my father, but that's what they all call me, right? And so I think legacy starts at home. You know, what type of legacy do we leave? I often tell people that you're going to be remembered one way or the other. Let's let's try to make that the most positive memory that we can. So I think legacy, that's part of it. And then certainly, I think the cause of what I do, we often talk about generational wealth. But I think the legacy of leaving knowledge is important. And so I want to be someone who's remembered as someone who who loved his family, loved God, and loved his community, and did my part of this vineyard. I took great pride in, and I and I was an expert at what I did. And you know, I do believe this. I do believe that it takes a multitude of people to really kind of leave a legacy. It's not just one piece, but my piece of financial literacy. I want to be known as someone who did that very well, knew what he was doing and poured out into the community in that area, that part of the vineyard that I'm charged with, called to do. I want to be remembered as someone who who did it very well. What are some strategies you can share with the audience when you talk about leaving generational wealth and generational legacy? You talked about leaving knowledge. Yes. A lot of and I'm going to speak specifically to African-Americans, they have a challenge leaving wealth. Yes. What's some strategies that we can mitigate that gap? Well, I think one of the things, well, first of all, let's, the, the baseline is this. The baseline is oftentimes we're underinsured. Okay. One of the more popular seminars we do is called GoFundMe ain't life insurance, right? So life insurance, whether and we can get into the detail of what kind and all those type of things, but the best policy to have is one that's in force. That is actually one of the things that we can use to close the wealth gap because for really pennies on a dollar, I can leave a legacy to my family. Many of us may not have a million dollars of cash in the bank, but we can buy a million dollar life policy. Right. Especially when we're young, we can lock in those ages, those type of things. So I I think that's one of the foundations. But I think even beyond that is to get financially literate, financial intelligence by reading YouTube, all these different ways. We have so many different resources at at the finger at our fingers, right? On our keyboard, on our phones. Because one of the things I also talk to my clients about is that if I have a million dollars in a million dollar life insurance policy and I pass and I leave that to my children, if they have not learned how to manage that money, it's no different than many lottery winners that win the lottery and two years later, they're broke. And so I think it's very important that we have those conversations and encourage the financial literacy piece so that 
we not only obtain the wealth, but we be able to continue to have that wealth. Kiyosaki says it, it's not about how much you make, but it's how much you keep. Kiyosaki added another phrase onto that. He said, it's not just about how much you keep, but how much do you pass on to the next generation? And I think that's what's so important, even with our Black businesses, is so often we don't live past that next generation, past the person who started. So we need to be thinking about multi-generational. So we we talk about the four pillars of intergenerational wealth exchange, which is number one is proper money management. It starts there. Number two is having the proper insurance and investments. Number three is real estate whether it's personal real estate, commercial real estate, and then number four is business development. Because those are things that we can pass on to the next generation. I can have a great job and I could be a number one employee, high ratings, but when I leave that job, that job is going to go to someone else. I can't pass that job on to my family, on to my one of my sons or daughters or grandchildren. But if I have a business whether or not they want to be totally engaged in the business or just maintain ownership, I can pass that on. I can pass on real estate. If I have the proper insurance and investments, I can pass those things on, mitigate taxes. But again, the foundation is having proper money management. Thinking about life insurance, back in the day, I'll say way back in the day, like my parents' generations and my parent, my mom is in her 90s, they did a lot of insurance policies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those policies were decreasing in value. Yes. Term life insurance. And even when you talk about getting a million dollar policy, and I remember my aunt shared with my mom, she had cancer and she said, you should take out an insurance policy on me. Well, the insurance company is one of the richest industries and they're into mitigating their risk and making sure that you are not taking their money. They're in business to make money. When you're dying, it's too late to buy it. Right. So, but the other part of it is I've noticed that even younger people wanting to get in their twenties and thirties, getting insurance policies, million dollars back in the day, you could just get an insurance policy. It's a lot of scrutiny to get a million dollar policy. Is that correct or not? It has been. A lot of those just due to technology and other things, it's become really easy. I mean, we can actually, in we can do over a million dollars policy without anyone even having a physical today. Can I share a little story with you? The reason I'm so passionate about life insurance is, I mentioned to you, my, my mother passed when I was 27 years old. This is my first experience with life insurance. And so my mother passed and we're all at the funeral home. And literally in Muskegon, Michigan, our family went to the same funeral home and it was Toombs, Mr. Toombs. And we're sitting in Mr. Toombs' office and we find out my mother has six life insurance policies, six of them. And we find out none of them were going to pay. And I looked at my dad and my uncle was there. We're more like brothers. We make eye contact. And so I tell my dad that don't worry about it. Me and Ronnie, we're going to cover the whole funeral. And my dad looked up, tears in his eyes. And he says, no, you won't. He says, I will not let you pay for your own mother's funeral. 
He said, if I have to mortgage my house to pay for it, I will not let you pay for it. And what I realized at that point is that my parents thought they had it all together. And so, so many of our people have been subject to those types of situation that we have this adverse relationship with life insurance. And my mom didn't know what she was buying. She was buying things, you know, the JCPenney policy, the Montgomery Wards policy, these types of things. And they were accidental death and she died of natural causes. And so that's the type of situation, as you were mentioning, when we are at that point where we need it and we think now's the time to buy it, we can't get the proper coverage. We fast forward that to today, I think we still, and we have to understand that some of this has been systematic. I mean, it's it's not by accident that it wasn't until the late 1950s that we were even able to buy anything other than the debit policy. Remember, they used to come by and collect the money. They had the card and this $500 policies. Well, the industry had set that stage that that was the only thing that we could buy. They didn't let us buy a $100,000 policy until the late 1950s, early 60s, when uh, New York Life hired the first Black agent that was allowed to sell something other than that. It was ironic. They wouldn't even let him come into the office to pass to put in the paperwork. He had to come here and someone would come get the paperwork from him. He wasn't allowed in the building. And so we've had this kind of adverse relationship with life insurance, and it goes all the way back to slavery. Because the, the first life insurance policies were on slaves that were coming across the Atlantic. I could buy life insurance on those slaves that I was getting. So that if something happened to them on the way over, I would get paid. So we've, we've had this going on. But today, we have to realize that there's other communities that have used life insurance to leverage and leave lifetime legacies and endowments and trust and family trust. So when we talk about having a million dollar policy, when I'm young and I have this family and I want to make sure that they're taking care of something happens to me, they can maintain their standard of living, a million dollar policy maybe make a lot of sense. But as I get older, I may not need that much, but I need to have permanent insurance. I think everyone should have some permanent insurance that's going to last them their entire lifetime. And the ease of getting life insurance today is so much easier than it was. You know, back like you mentioned I mean, some time ago, if you wanted a million dollars, you had to, they were going to pull your financial records. You're going to have to go get an exam. They're going to draw blood. There all these things. Today, I could write a million dollar policy on someone's healthy and it could be issued by the end of the day because of technology and being able to pull their prescription database to see if there's any prescriptions there. So there's really almost no excuse for us not having the coverages now. We just have to get through some of the psychological hangups that we have with it. Talk about money and being a grandfather. Yes. <laughs> One of the great things about being a grandparent is that we can sit back and we benefit from the fact of the things that we learned parenting. And when our kids were coming up and, and we chose, our kids are really close in age, like 13 months apart, 15 months apart. And, you know, it got to the point where my mother-in-law say, listen, I've been keeping these babies, but, you know, y'all having too many of them. So, you know, we made the choice and I was fortunate enough to have my own business that my wife stayed home. But there was a lot of sacrifices. I mean, there were lean years. I mean, we struggled 
And so, but now as a grandparent and we're beyond that, we have the benefit of those years that we now can feed into our grandchildren. And because of the things that I've learned in the industry, I think we've passed that on to our kids because what I've found is what I teach my kids, they're going to teach my grandkids. And I'll tell you one of the great things about it. And it, and this actually was a conversation. My oldest grandchild is seven years old, Cameron. And Cameron is listening to me on these podcasts and he's listening to me, you know, with George Frazier and, and others. And so one day he said to me, he says, so granddad, if, if you rent a house and you move out, it's almost like you got to pay them. But if you buy a house and you move out, they have to pay you. And I said, yeah, that's basically it, Cameron. He says, well, I never want to rent. And to me, it was like I opened it because he's listening. He's listening. And, you know, when I first went into ministry, Sister White, this saint, and she pulled me aside after my trial sermon and she told me I did a wonderful job. And she says, I want to give you just one piece of advice. He says, people rather see a sermon than hear one. And I think that's what we're in a position of doing now is being able to demonstrate and show our grandkids the fruit of managing your money, what type of things that you can have and do and enjoy when you have sacrificed, worked hard manage your money, saved, and those type of things. And we want to expose them to things. I think one of the things that's important for our children and grandchildren is being exposed to life outside of their normal circle. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I'm from Michigan, so I'm a big Michigan fan. Michigan was playing UNC Charlotte, and, and I took my grandson. I, I mean, that was that's who I took to the game. And for him to just experience that and just wanting them to experience life beyond their normal circle is important. So as a grandfather, I think from a financial standpoint, I want to set that example. But the other thing that I want to do is set an example of what it's like to be a man and to take care of your family and to love your wife and love your children and, and love them. And so I think the greatest legacy I could do is by them watching me live my life from a total standpoint, you know, going to church and, you know, being a minister. My grandkids really don't understand that. You know, I mean, I, I, he's getting it now. Right. And I, I even remember when my kids were small. I told them, hey, you know, daddy's been called to preach. He's going to be a preacher. And my son, he said, I thought he already was. I heard him in the shower, you know, and so. But I, I think living our life in a way, and, and that's what I think for me when you talk about legacy and, and being a grandfather, is that I want to set an example. And here, here's the thing, and I can just keep going on and on. My son recently got married. My first of our children get married. My son got married. And, you know, as parents, of course, are you ready? Da, 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 you know, those type of things. And, and he's having a conversation with his mom. Lovely. We love our daughter in love, right? And he didn't tell me this, but he told his mom and his mom asked him, Tony, are, are, you, are you really ready to be a husband? Are you really ready to take that step? And he says, mom, I don't want to date. We love each other and I'm ready. And you have to remember, I had the best example ever of what it's like to be a husband. 
And that just, she shared that with me. And I was like, that's what I want legacy to be about. That right there was that that moment. It still makes me tear up a little bit yeah. just to talk about yeah. it. But him saying that says, okay, I've done, and you know, none of us are perfect. I always say, you know, none of us is Jesus Jr., right? right. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all do things. But if that's what he got out of watching dad, then I'm pleased with that. I want you to have a monologue, Tony. I want you to name this person, living or not. They've inspired you so much. Who is the person and what are you saying to that person? Well, I, I tell you, for me, I've had so many great positive male role models in my life. And that's why I said if I if I had to pick one, because I could say my dad, certainly, you know, my dad, eighth grade education, worked in a factory for 38 years, provided for his family. I saw him love my mother through every sickness. And then I have an uncle who I'm very close to that in my hardest days, he was always there. We've been always there for each other. We're more like brothers. My father-in-law, my father-in-love, God bless his soul as well. I mean, we were we were close. He treated me like the son he never had. He only had two daughters. We were close. My pastor, Eddie P. Williams, God rest his soul as well. I mean, so these were very influential men in my life. And then I'm very close to George Frazier. But when you first said that the person that comes to mind is Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King Jr. And the reason why I would say Martin Luther King and the reason why I'm going to do that, because I can't get in trouble with this one. <laughs> But the other thing is I always admired him even from a young child. And, and I grew up in a community where there was only two black in my graduating class. And but I, I was just fascinated with him from the standpoint of and I just would order. I have a whole library of his sermons. I mean, the public call them speeches, but they were sermons. Right. And the reason why. I admire him so is because, number one, he was very, very brave. And we got to think that he was taken away from us. He was only, you know, 38, 39 years old. He was very young, but yet had accomplished so much. My pastor used to tell me a lot of stories because he knew him personally through the, you know, Baptist convention and those type of things. And so, but he made such an impact on the world. And the other thing is, so from a, from a spiritual preacher standpoint, I look at him, I look how he put the words together. I was just listening. I was just listening the other day to one of his his sermons and his eloquent speech and the fact that he was so intelligent and how he carried himself in a non-violent, non-violence was his cry. He made a difference. And the other thing that I think, and I think this is the real reason he was really sought to be assassinated, is he turned not only about the civil unrest and voting rights. But he started turning his agenda to the economic empowerment, even when he was in Memphis and he was there because of the poor man's march, right, representing the sanitation workers. And he had really started to look at the economy, understanding that the economy, the economics was so important that even if we have equal rights, voting rights, we have equal rights in these type of things, it's the economy if we need to have the economic power. And what's interesting is at the time in one of his speeches, he talked about it. He talked about how the African-American, not the African diaspora, but the African-American economy 
he mentioned this in one of his sermons, is that we were the eighth, if we were a country, we would be eighth on the gross national product list. The sad thing is today we haven't changed that. We would still be eighth. We haven't advanced that at all. But I think as he was turning to economics, financial literacy, looking at that, I have so much respect for that. So that's one. And if I was sitting down with Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, I probably would just want to sit back and I would ask them this question. What would you tell a, a young man like me? Of course, I would be young if he was still living, right? What he was, you know, I was only two months old when he was assassinated, but I would just ask him what advice he would give me and just let him tell me, just let him tell me and listen. And I've always been one that would listen to our elders. I think we can learn from absolutely everyone on the planet. And so I would just sit back and and listen. Advice you wish you had followed? Advice I wish I would have followed. I think a lot of it is, is probably, again, in this financial realm. And I think I would have sought more counsel early on in my life. And when I, I remember sitting down with my pastor, told him I was going to plant a church. And he says, you know, I don't know what to tell you because I've never planted. I've been, I've been pastoring the same church for 50 years. He says, but you need to find counsel on what you're doing. And I think if I would have had that advice earlier in my career and would have seeked more that And that was a, the, one of the positive things about moving here is that I found myself in circles with people that I've named some of them that have been great influence and just getting more counsel, I think would be the advice that I would follow. I recall Dr. Francis, I thought I was being really smart, right? His name was Prester Earl, and he would come to our church every year and do revival and normally I would be the one to go pick him up and, you know, take him to the hotel, back and forth to the church and all this. And we were sitting in my in my truck. We were having a conversation and I just had a review. I was brand new professional. Right. And I was doing a very good job at my job at State Farm and, and a vice president from the corporate office in Bloomington, Illinois, came in and wanted to meet with me. And he asked me this question. He says, what? can I do for you? He asked me this question. And here was my response. I said, I can't think of anything that, you know, I really need you to do for me because I want ownership of my own success. And so I was telling that to Pastor Earl and Pastor Earl said, you gave the dumbest answer ever to that question. He said, do you know how powerful it is for someone to say to you, what can I do to help you? Even if you didn't know, you should have told him, let you think about it and get back to him. He said, that was stupid. You're never going to get where you want to be on your own. You're going to need some help. And I remember that so well. It was, We were sitting outside the hotel in my truck and I was like, man, that stuck with me, right? That stuck with me is that we can't do life on our own. We never were intended to. We're going to, every Timothy needs a Paul and every Paul needs a Timothy. We need people to pour into us and we need to pour into others. And we can't do this thing alone. 
so yeah, those those are a couple of moments that kind of stick out to me. So what can we do now to support your business? Oh, that's a great question. You know, to support my business, I think number one is what you're doing. You know, you're having me on your podcast that reaches so many people. I'm brand new in the podcasting, that type of thing. And I think just you opening your platform up to me is very, very powerful. Very, And thank you again. So I think to support my business, I start with the book. I mean, if if people would order the book, get the book. I'm also doing a master class on the book starting on you know January 9th. I'll be doing that each quarter. It's free. And so I think in supporting my business is just get the information and then make the best decision you can. If that's with me or someone else, I think that's one of the things for me is I want to give back. And I believe this. I believe every opportunity we have to give, we're really planting seeds. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed baking bread. When we do that, and I was telling someone the other day, is I've given away more books than I've sold. And even that price that I gave you is my cost of, of the book in shipping. I mean, so I make nothing from it. So I think to support my business is that's one is to to get the book, read it and implement those things where it makes sense for you. To me, that's that's a great honor. And I think when that happens, that the God of this universe and of this world will return those things back to me. I don't chase money. Uh, Dr. Frazier says this. He says, chase excellence and you won't be able to get out of the way of money. And I believe that. And so I try to do things in an excellent way. And I try to just give people the very best advice I can. That type of engagement through the book, through my podcast, being those type of things that we have going is how people can support my business. And because the one thing I, I tell people is that when you're thinking about, especially when you're talking money, you know how they say people do business with people they know, love and trust. I think when you're talking about people's money and their livelihood, that that's even more important. And, you know, if a person's not comfortable and they don't feel educated, I don't want them to do business with me until they are, until they feel like, okay, I've learned enough. I trust this advice that I'm getting. Now I can make a decision. Because one thing I like to do, Dr. Francis, I like to sleep at night. Right. I like to sleep at night. And I tell people all the time is if you do business with me, when I see you at the grocery store, I'm not going to have to dodge you or go to another aisle. I mean, you know, I may not necessarily always remember your name, but I'll know that I can come and have a conversation with you because I know that I've done right by you. Integrity means everything. And that's the one thing that that probably uh, gets under my skin more than anything is anyone questions my integrity. And it's not that I haven't made mistakes. It's not that I've been perfect, but my integrity means so much to me. And when people recognize that, even the company, the IMO, the broker dealer that I deal with, they they like, you do business the right way. We wish we had everyone. And to me, I'm not the number one producer. I do well, but I just try to do everything the right way. How do you make impact daily in people's lives? Well, on a daily basis, well, first of all, I, I think it starts with the people in my home, right? My wife, I certainly hope that she feels loved, respected, and adored every day, right? So 
that's what, and I get that from my dad, right? My dad was just that kind of guy. And, and so I, I make my wife's lunch every day when she goes, she's a teacher. And so I enjoy that. I hope I make a difference for her. That's first. And then I do a lot of meetings on a daily basis on Zoom. And, you know, there's days that I may meet with seven people in a day. And I think I make an impact because I give them great information. I know my business and I listen, I support them. Sometimes, honestly, and I've told clients this before, it's like, you know, I don't have anything that you should do business with me on, but maybe we're having this appointment. Maybe it was the divine time that, you know, I can share and encourage you, let you know you're on the right track. Sometimes it's praying with them. Sometimes it's just encouraging them that the struggle they're going through will will end. And so that's the impact. I think when we talk about daily impact now, because we have this virtual world where we got, you know, YouTube videos out there, we got Facebook lives that people can go back and watch and podcasts and all those type of things. So I, I think all that is just getting good information, good, honest, unfiltered, unbiased information out to people is where I think I make the impact. Tony, if you conducted this interview, what is the one question you would have asked yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer it. Now, you know, I knew you were going to answer that because I've been listening to your podcast. I knew that question was coming, so I should be prepared for it. The question comes to mind, and you've asked it already, is, you know, what would I want my legacy to be? I think that is the one question that's so important. And, and as I get older, I think that becomes more and more important. So I, I'm going to say, since you've already asked that question, is where do I see myself in five years from now or 10 years from now? And where I see myself in five, 10 years from now is I see myself continuing to make strides in terms of moving the needle for our people in terms of financial intelligence, financial literacy, and the like. And I see myself, and I've said it before, I see myself as being, I want to be the next influencer when it comes to financial literacy, to the tune of, of people like Dave Ramsey and Boyce Watkins and George Frazier's and those people of the world who, who have given their life's work to advancing our people. My part of the vineyard is in the financial literacy side. And so where I see myself in five years from now is continuing that process continuing to push the envelope for our people to become more and more financially intelligent so that we can turn the tide on. The studies show that, you know, by the year 2053, that the median household income in the Black family will be zero. Today, it's about 25,000, which is about one eighth of our white counterparts. So in five years from now, I want to see us having turned the needle on that, move the needle that we're not headed down that same trajectory. And, and that's part of the reason why we're starting a campaign next year calling the Saving Money Challenge, where we're just going to challenge people to save $100 a month. We'll give them tools to do that 
but we want to turn the tide. We don't want that to be our legacy. We don't want to go into a second slavery, a second financial slavery. So where I see myself in five years from now is leading that charge, being one of the, the leaders and thought leaders. And when it comes to mind, when you think of financial literacy, I want you to think about the real money coach. So was that starting in 23 or 24? 23, 23. We're actually going to kick that off here in about six weeks. Okay. And, you know, we're just going to kick off the campaign to save $100 per month. We're going to get 1,000 people to do that this year. And then we're going to rinse and repeat, do it again next year, and continue to do that to get us out of the mindset of being a consumer and into the mindset of being a saver. So so, I know you're kicking that off in six weeks. And if people are interested in participating, how do they participate? And are they saving this in a specific bank? Is it in a black bank? Are they saving it in a piggy bank or have (laughs) specifics? You know, I, I think it's all of that. For now, what we're doing is recommending a Roth IRA for many people because because we want this to be long-term savings. And the fact that you do put it in a Roth IRA, that means that down the road, when you need to access it, it'll be tax-free for you. And so we have vehicles, obviously, that we offer for that. But I think as we get to it and we develop the website and we're keeping track of it, we do want to forge a relationship with some Black banks so we could recommend those banks for people to do it. And so it's one of those things that much of it will be developed and built as we launch it and and take it off the ground. So for now, if people are interested, they can simply even even if they're interested in that or even just having a free strategy session with me, they can go to ipadappointment.com, schedule a time. We can have a conversation about it. Certainly my email address is, you know, info at the Real Money Coach. So if they want to have a conversation, be added to our mailing list. So as we launch this and develop it as we go, you know, they'll be informed. Thank you. We've come to the part of our interview. It's called Rapid Round of Fun. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to give me very quick answers. If there's something you desire not to answer, feel free to say pass. And we want very rapid answers on these questions. Are you ready for the Rapid Round of Fun? Let's go. Let's let's have the rapid round of fun. What is your comfort food? <laughs> my comfort food. My comfort food is barbecue. The last movie you saw. Black Panther. You relax doing what? Watching football. Your favorite singer or rapper. Pass. Your favorite dance song. <laughs> Pass on that one. I don't know about that one. That's good. What food you eat every week, no matter what? Chicken. Your ideal car. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask it. I think that changes. I'm a car person right now. It's Tesla. Your favorite month? February. Tony R. Jackson, thank you so much for spending time with us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, share with our audience the best way for them to connect with you and to do business with you. And feel free to leave all your social media handles. Okay. So for social media, it's everything's at the real money coach. That's all for all my social media handles. The best way to do business with me is again to schedule appointment at ipadappointment.com. 
you know, it's all available on my website, therealmoneycoach.com. You can get to everything from that website to my appointment schedule to the website to order the book. That's the best way. Also, you can email me through that website. And again, it's info at The Real Money Coach. I hope people take advantage of getting the book and just sharing, you know, what you think of it. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening and subscribing to Black Entrepreneur Experience. We would love for you to leave a review and rating on iTunes and share with your friends. For show notes and more episodes, go to www.beepodcast.com. Join us next Wednesday. And remember, green is the new black. So keep your bank accounts and your business in the black.